Amen. Well, as I was praying about uh, sort of what we would do in the in-between week, we'll jump back into Ephesians next week, and I'm excited to finish out that book in the next uh, few weeks or months or years or however long it takes us, but um, it'll be the next few weeks. Uh, I love to sort of have a week where we can just uh, just talk about, especially during this time of year, all right, what does it look like for us to, to move forward? And how, with all the, all the focus on God's grace and His mercy, what is our motivation to look forward? And, and how do we do that in a, in a biblical way? In a way where our motivation is um, scriptural, not just self-determination and self-betterment that you hear a lot of this time of year. Um, I don't know about you, but I am a, um, I, I'm a resolution maker. Spent some time yesterday going through my sort of plan for 2013, um, and, and I've got a bunch of goals. Any, who's, who's programmed like that, where you got goals, you're, right, two of us? <laughs> I'm going to drive you guys crazy. <laughs> so, I, I, and I've always been this way. I've been, I have been a, the type of guy where um, I've been a quick starter, especially in school. You know, that first day of school comes around, and they hand out the, the big syllabus, and there's a, a paper due the last week of the semester. It's the 30-page cumulative paper, and I look at the guy next to me, and I say, I'm going to write that bad boy tonight. <laughs> you know, and, and so I have like 12 pencils sharpened day one, and I am ready to roll. And then like a week in, I'm going, hey, dude, I got no paper. Can I borrow a piece of paper from you to take some notes? You know, that was for my whole school life. That was me. Now, I'm still a driven sort of type A. Let's make a plan. Let's make a goal. Let's let's chase after it. Um, I've just gotten a little bit better at following through. Um, So that's a that is a good thing. And, but I think a lot of us can relate to that idea, especially around this time of year. If you're a resolution maker, so both of you that have sort of taken the time to do that will really relate to that. <laughs> See, everyone ends up somewhere. Um, some of us just end up there on purpose, you know? So, um, <laughs> hey, you don't want to make any goals, then that's fine. No, I'm just I told you I was a little bit feisty this morning. So, and I don't know what it I don't know what it is. But as I've thought about sort of last year and and some of the goals that I've had, I'll be honest with you. Some of them some of them I I, I nailed and some of them I, I achieved and some of them I didn't. Some of them I, were, I was really far from. Some of them I may have even regressed. I don't know. And that's just to be honest with you. And 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 for some of us, for and, and for me especially, I think. That's a tough thing. That's a tough thing because I want to I make strides. And I want to I know that I'm growing. And sometimes it, when I read scripture, I, I just, I read it and I go, these guys are just amazing. Like, did they have something that I don't have? Am I just not cut out for it? Am I, God, is there, is there a reason? Did I just shoot too high? And, and I don't think that's it. I want to I want to talk this morning about what it looks like to be and to become a people who, in a very biblical manner, uh, address that feeling of we're we're moving we're moving forward but we're not quite there yet we're not quite there yet 
And I want to look at it through the lens of let's dream a little bit about what God might do in us and through us in 2013. And in order to do that, I want to invite you to open up your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be primarily in verses 12 through 16, which um, is a great passage of Scripture, but I need to sort of uh, catch us up on what Paul, and this is Paul's letter to the Philippian church, what Paul was writing to this church in the first portion of chapter 3. To the first por- in the first portion of chapter 3. In verses 1 through 6, Paul essentially gives his resume. This is, these are all the reasons in verses 1 through 6 why Paul is an amazing Jewish person. He was born into the right tribe. He was circumcised on the right day. He was zealous for the law. He was chasing after it. He was diligent in doing everything that a quote-unquote good Jewish person would. And this is where he picks up that discussion in verses 7 through 11. And he says this. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, if you were to go back and read verses 1 through 6, there was a lot that was to his profit. I mean, he had achieved a ton. A Hebrew of Hebrews, zealous for the law, meaning he kept it as best he could. I mean, there were not too many things on Paul's New Year's resolution list that he didn't nail. That's what he's saying. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's an unbelievable statement. If if we, and we could just camp out here this morning, and I'd love to, this is one of my favorite verses, favorite passages of scripture in the whole Bible, because what Paul just said was that Jesus is better than it all. And not the things that sort of trickle down from the throne of Jesus. Not the blessing that Jesus gives. And I'm going to constantly, ruthlessly point us back to this reality. Because what he said is that it's not the blessing that Jesus gives. It's just knowing him. That's better. That's better. For whose sake I have lost all things, Paul says. I consider them rubbish. Garbage, dung, trash, whatever you want to fill in the blank there. I consider them rubbish. So as I put them on the scale, all these achievements and all of these um, accolades that that I have compared to knowing Christ, I mean, he's just better. He's better. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship and sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, that is a lofty goal. I mean, if that is our New Year's resolution, I want to consider everything else in my life rubbish compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to count it a joy to suffer with him that I might know his power. If that's number one on our New Year's resolution list. (laughs) See, I might make some progress in that in 2013. I pray that I do. 
But I don't know if we get to the end of 2013. In fact, I know that when we get to the end of 2013, I'm not going to look at that goal and go, I nailed it. Okay, the train has arrived, it's in the station, and Paulson considers all things rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I am acutely aware of the fact that I fall short of that. And I read scripture so many times and I'm going, Paul, how did you do that? I mean, it just seems like he wears a cape so often. (laughs) He's just like superhero of the faith. I can, I can relate a lot better to David who in one chapter is going, oh, you're better, than, you're better than life, your love endures forever. And then the next chapter he's like, where are you, God? Right? My enemies press in on me. Why won't you show up? I can, that New Year's resolution I can nail. <laughs> Spiritual schizophrenia. Got it. Like, sign me up. I mean, that's a... Isn't that most of our journeys? Is it, we're just, it, it, is it some days are great and some days are difficult and some days we're on the mountaintop going, Jesus, thank you, you are, you're better than life. And then other days we're going, hey, if you could show up now, that'd be great. That'd be great. And so how do we, I want to wrestle with this idea this morning, how do we enter into 2013? One, healthily, and two, with a great vision for what God might want to do in and through us. And I want to give you a foundation this morning uh, to, to explore biblically how we press on, how we move forward. And then over this next week, I want to invite you to spend some time in prayer and to spend some time seeking God and praying about and, and asking him, Lord, what, where are you challenging me in this coming year? Where are you pressing on me in this coming year? But I want, to do, I, want to, I want you to do that in a way that's biblical. I want you to do that in a way that's driven by grace. And so this morning, I want to give you a foundation that my prayer is you'll jump off on in the next few days. Because here's the way that Paul continues. And this I love. Not that I've already obtained all this. Hey, raise your hand if you're grateful for that verse. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Paul just takes off the cape and he goes, yeah, I'm not. That, that's the goal? That's the goal? I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What is more, I consider everything a loss. I consider it rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And Paul goes, that's true. And that's real. And that's good. And I want my life to line up for it. But I haven't arrived yet. Not that I, I haven't obtained all this or that I've been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's going to say that, that press on phrase a few times in this passage. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I love that you can tell Paul's a preacher because he's going to say one thing I do and then he's going to list like three things. One thing I do. It's like, it's like me saying, hey, we're about to close here. I'm going to wrap up. Okay. Okay. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
And that's a great, a great jumping off point for a new year. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want us to look at this morning in the, in the few minutes that we have left together. What does it look like to press on in a grace-driven, biblical way? Because I think when we think about, hey, let's, let's press on, what we think is let's just pull up our bootstraps and let's get the job done. And if we do that, then God will be pleased with us. He'll, he'll, be, he'll be more happy with us than he is now if we can look a little bit better in 2013. But what Paul's going to say in this passage, I think brings, at least for my soul, brings a ton of freedom. And, and my prayer and my hope is that it will for you too. This idea of press on. Um, Paul is, is using aggr- aggressive language. It was, in the Greek, it was this term that was often used for, um, for hunting. Like you would get something in your, in your sights and you would just go at it. That's, that's pressing on as you're, as you're chasing after, as you're hunting after, as you're aggressively going after something. And so Paul's saying, listen, I didn't arrive at my goal. I haven't arrived at my goal, but I'm chasing it. But I'm chasing it. And my hope is that you would chase it this year too. That you would view Jesus as good enough, joy-filled enough, purpose-filled for your life enough to say, this is a year where I'm going to press forward. Let's look at this a little bit closer together, because this is what he says. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this, that I've been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. And, and here's the deal. We're going to learn just a few ways that we press on, a few things that we do as we press forward, as we move forward. And I think in order to lay a foundation for us, here's what we need to realize. We need to recognize, as Paul has stated here, I think beautifully, especially coming off of verses 7 through 11, that growth in the Christian life is a lifelong process. That should be good news for you this morning. That should be good news for you. That, that should, as you look at your spouse, that should be good news for your marriage this morning. Hey, because neither of you have arrived. Neither of you have arrived. That should create some freedom. That should create some excitement that maybe this year you're going to grow a little bit. You're going to mature a little bit. You're going to become a little bit more like Jesus. That The joy that he holds for you will be a little bit more of a driving force in your life that you might grasp onto it, that this year you could be a little bit different because across the board in this room, none of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. Which, this is for free this morning, which makes it really interesting that people always view Christians as hypocrites. I mean, because our, our mantra is, listen, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not, it's not us and two we haven't arrived yet. We're not there. We're still growing. I love how honest Paul is here, though. And for some of us in this room, that may be as we start looking forward to 2013, the first step for us might just be an honest assessment. 
And I hope it brings a little bit of freedom to you to know that the grade that you cannot give yourself is I've arrived. Is I've arrived. I mean, let's just look at Paul's resume a little bit, okay? He, he listed it in verses 1 through 6, but let's just sort of go biographically, what was Paul's life like? Well, he met Jesus in a bright light in an audible voice on a road. Anybody? All right, all right. He, he touches people and they're healed. He is in jail and the walls mysteriously just crumble. And he walks out going, it's been nice. Anyone? Called up into the third heaven. It's a story there. Called up into the third heaven. Planted 14 churches that we know of. I mean, I can't tell you how freeing it is to my soul to hear Paul write, I haven't arrived. I haven't haven't made it yet. I'm in process and I'm growing and and I'm chasing after Jesus as my greatest joy and my greatest treasure and 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 I want him more than anything, but I haven't made it yet. I'm not there. I'm not there. And so, hey, if you're not there yet either, and um, <clears throat> if I have to be the one to break it to you, I will. You're not. <laughs> that should give us some great freedom because we're in really, really good company. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit for us. Verse 12, because there's some things, there's some pieces in here that are a little bit confusing. Because he says, not that I've already obtained all this or that I've been made perfect. Now, if you've been here over the last few months, you've been hearing me say from the front, from the scriptures, hey, we are holy, spotless, blameless, pure before the throne of God. And so if you read that, you may go, that, that sort of contradicts what Paul is saying. And, and let me assure you that, that it doesn't. And let me explain to you what's going on here. Is that our salvation, if you picture it as a whole, is really a threefold thing. First is justification. And that is, that is a salvific process by which we are redeemed, called sons and daughters of the king. And as Romans 8 verse 1 says, that there's therefore now... Zero condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That legally we have been made perfect before the throne of God. You stand there right now, holy, spotless, blameless. That's great news. That's, the, that's sort of the beginning and then that pushes its way through our whole life. And the end is glorification where one day we will have a glorified body where we will be in heaven, where we will stand before the throne of God. Paul writes about it in uh, chapter 3 here where he says that we eagerly await a Savior. This is verse 20 of Philippians chapter 3. We eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That one day this salvific process will culminate in our glorification. So we have justification on one hand, glorification on the other, And then we live in this sort of ambiguous in-between that the Bible calls sanctification. 
It's the always moving forward yet never quite arriving state that we live in. It's, it's what Paul writes about when he says, like, I haven't been made perfect. I'm not completely like Jesus yet. I, I, he isn't my whole and soul joy. Like, there's still a piece of that that's, that's not completely me yet. I love the way that the author of Hebrews writes it when, when he so, tries to explain this idea. And he says, writing about Jesus, he says, Because by one sacrifice, Jesus's, he has made perfect, past tense, Forever, those who are being, present tense, current reality, made holy. And so Paul writes about this sanctification process. And he says, listen, you're always moving forward, but never totally arriving this side of heaven. That can be frustrating. That can be difficult. That can be, when we compare ourselves to others, that can be paralyzing. When we start going, he or she is so much further down the road. They have so much scripture memorized. They have so much, whatever our external measurement of that is. Or we start to see how long the journey is and how far we have to go. And we just sort of start to check out a little bit. But I think what Paul would say in this passage and what God would say to us this morning is that, listen, we haven't arrived and that's an okay thing. And that in the next year, you can make progress. You can make progress. You can become a little bit more like Jesus by his spirit empowerment and his grace flowing over you. This can be a year where you make progress progress. But we start with the end in mind, and the end is knowing that this side of heaven, we're not going to get there. He goes on to teach us a little bit about how we fight for that. And I love this. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. And let's just, let's just stop here because He's going to teach us. This is how we move forward. This is the foundation upon which we lay our plans for 2013 in front of God and say, God, is this what you have for me? We have to be people who refuse to live in the past. We have to be people who refuse to live in the past. I'm convinced that there is no greater spiritual detriment to your life than being anchored to something, to some event, to some thought, to something that happened to you in the past. There's nothing, no greater spiritual detriment to your life than being anchored in the past. I mean, you look at it, and Paul uses the analogy of a race in other scriptures. You, you try to think about running a race as you're running forward, looking backwards. It's going to be trouble pretty quick. And, and the same is true for us spiritually, friends. The enemy's greatest tactic in your life is to get you to believe that the grace of God does not cover something. And so maybe, just maybe this year, maybe in this moment, you start to say, all right, Jesus, I I pray that you would start to chisel away at my soul in some ways that would allow me to either repent of something I've been a part of that that really was, was evil and wasn't of you. Or that you would allow me to forgive someone 
who's done something to me that just caused me to sink an anchor down right then and I can't move forward from it. See, because we're, we're pretty intricately wired. And when someone wrongs us, it has the ability to just cause us to live in that moment. And so we have these thoughts of, if I could go back and do this differently, if I can go back and say this, if I saw that person now, I'd do this. And we have this bitterness and this anger that builds up, and it's towards another person, but the person it destroys is us. And so Paul's saying, and I wonder too if Paul's sort of thoughts about who he who he was are sort of coming back to his mind. I wonder if he's writing just a little bit autobiographically and saying, I've got to let that stuff go. I mean, you can read back in Acts chapter 7 when he sort of commissions the stoning of Stephen, one of the great early um, followers of Jesus, as he's giving a sermon. And Paul's saying, here, I'll hold your coats because it's got to be hard to throw the rocks hard enough when you got that big coat on. Let me hold them for you. And later on in the next chapter, chapter 8 of Acts, he goes to the government to get papers to march down to Damascus to take believers out of their homes and kill them. That's his plan. That's his plan. And I wonder if he's writing to himself a little bit. Like, like Paul, we press on. We press on towards the goal. And in order to do that, we've got to let go of some things in our past. I wonder how many of us that's for this morning. Where Jesus is saying, yeah, sort of, it's an artificial type of thing, New Year's. But where he's saying, maybe this is the beginning of you running, looking forward and not looking back. One of the more terrifying things for me is it's not just good things that cause us or bad things that cause us to look back, it's good things too. It's successes. Where we keep pointing back to those things and going, oh, those were the glory days. Those were the good days. And he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's, let's press. Let's look forward. Let's, let's run the race. And I think he's saying that to all of us this morning. He goes on. He says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Now, this, like, like this idea of press on and, and getting the sort of a hunting analogy in our head of really chasing after whatever we're hunting, this is, this straining idea is ag- aggressive language. I mean, this is Paul going, I, I want it. I want it with everything that I have. I'm chasing after Jesus because he's better. Because he's better than the resume. Because he's better than my health. Because he's better than my family. Because he's better than you fill in the blank. It's Paul going, I am ferociously chasing after Jesus because he's better. I'm not just sort of stumbling along and I'm not just coasting, but I am striving, straining, chasing, pursuing Let me ask you, can you say that about yourself? And it's not just, it's not so that we can add anything to our spiritual checklist. It's not so that we can be more holy. It's not so that God will be more pleased with us. It's for our joy. 
I mean, Paul already laid his cards on the table and said, Jesus is better. And I want to try to align my life with that. And so here's the deal. We press on. We press on by actively chasing after Jesus today, now, in the present. Striving, straining. Because here's the reality, friends. You will not become more like Jesus on accident. You won't. You won't wake up some morning, halfway through 2013, if you don't have any sort of plan, if you don't have any sort of desire, if you haven't done any sort of like back work on, all right, what God, how, how might I taste a little bit more of your goodness and your joy and your mercy and your grace this year? You won't wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm more holy, more spiritual, a little bit more like Jesus. Even though I've just been coasting along. Wow, I've, I've, he says, I'm, I'm straining towards it. I, I, Paul's language is like, I, I want it so bad that I'm willing to, to, to be disciplined in some things, to, by God's grace, chase after him a little bit more. I think one of the greatest misnomers uh, um, and, and sort of misunderstandings of being a church that's focused on grace is, like I said earlier, is that we think that there's no place for straining or striving. And, and I want to let you know this morning that, that is, that's 100% not true. I love the way that Dallas Willard puts it when he says that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And there's a big difference there's a big difference if we, we fight to know Jesus under his grace or if we fight to know him under the law. There's a, there's a huge difference. And what Paul says is under grace, I am straining, I'm chasing because Jesus is better, because his joy is good, because he's real, because knowing him is better than anything else I could ever possibly imagine. I love the way the D.A. Carson puts it when he says this. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people don't gravitate toward godliness, prayer, and obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. He says, no, we drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. I don't know about you, but when, when I think of the coming year, I don't, I don't want this to mark me. I don't want coasting to mark me. I can remember as I was driving out here from, from California that there would be long stretches of highway where I would just put my car in cruise control and my mind would just be out. I mean, I pushed that button and it was just like, well, goodbye, world. <laughs> and I think a lot of us have just, we've sort of spiritually just put it in cruise control. Like we've been at this for so many years and we've sat in church for so long that we just sort of put it in, in cruise control. And I wonder if this morning God's just saying, come on, 
Come on, there's, there's more. And he's not saying it so that you can be a quote-unquote good Christian. He's saying it because he wants your joy more than you want it. He's saying, chase after me. Know me. So maybe this is a year, and you can get a lot of great Bible reading plans. There's a, a bunch of free runs on Version, which is an app you can get on your phone or something you can get on your computer. But maybe this year is a year where you decide that you read through Scripture. But, but, but don't just read Scripture to check it off. Read Scripture. The, the, the way you read Scripture is to know Jesus. I love John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures and you know the scriptures, yet the scriptures point to me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So maybe this is the year where you start to soak in the scriptures a little bit more, that you may find joy in knowing Jesus a little bit more. Maybe like like Julie mentioned, you step out of your comfort zone a little bit and you go to Alpha, or you Come with somebody to Alpha. Do you know that Philemon verse 6 says that you should be active in sharing your faith? Why? Because God wants you to have one more duty to add to your list. No. You should be active in sharing your faith so that you will have knowledge of every good thing you have in Christ. It's a hedonistic endeavor to share your faith with another person. And he lays it out there like that. He lays it out there. For your joy. Maybe, maybe you decide that over the next, as we sort of birth life groups again in the end of January, that you decide you're going to commit to biblical community. You're going to walk with some other people. Maybe some people you don't know. Maybe some people you don't even like. And you're going to learn what it really looks like to be in biblical community. But man, my, my prayer for us My prayer for us is that this wouldn't just be something we start now and in March just go back to normal like everybody does at the gym. You you may notice over the next few weeks it's going to be hard to get a treadmill. There's going to be a lot of people there sort of with their workout plan going, yeah, this is the year. And you can look at them and go, probably not. not. I I want this to be something that's different. That as we realize God's goodness and grace towards us that covers are not yet arriving. And as we seek to say, I'm refusing to live in the past, that we would be the body of Christ for each other. And we would say, chase after Jesus. He's worth it. There's joy to be had. Keep going. Keep going. Paul ends this passage with these two verses and I love them. I love, or all of us who are mature should take such a point of view of things. So here's what he said. One, if you disagree with me, you're immature. (laughs) But he doesn't leave it there. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already obtained. So, if you disagree with me, you're, you're immature, and eventually God will make that known to you. Wow, he really hasn't arrived. I love it. He's got some feist in him. It's great. But here's what he said, and this is really, really good news, because he redefines Christian maturity for us, or at least he adds to it. 
Because we think in our minds, if we were to say, hey, what is Christian maturity? And I were to throw that out, we would get a lot of hands raised that say, listen, we, we know the scriptures. Truth. We memorize scripture, right? We have an, an active and vital life-giving prayer life. Absolutely true. But he just added to the list. Because he says those who are mature take such a view of such things. Well, a view of what? A view of the reality that we are progressing, but that we haven't arrived. That the mature people understand there's still more to go. There's still a little bit more out there that Jesus is inviting us to. Mature people understand that we haven't tasted the fullness of his joy yet and that he is inviting us deeper and into more. That's maturity. And I would say it like this as we look at pressing on. Is that we press on by knowing that true maturity is the acknowledgement that we need grace today. And, and I just want to point out, you know this is true. You know this is true. As you grow in your relationship with the Lord, it's like being invited into a, a room that the further on you go in the room, the more you see that it just keeps going. And hey, 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 that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Because that means that this adventure that we call life should never get boring. That, that means that, that as we embark on a new year, there should be things that God is stirring in us and in things he's inviting us deeper into. And in here, here's a spoiler alert that as you get deeper and deeper into those things, there's going to be more. There's going to be more until the day you die. Praise God. Praise God. And maturity for us as followers of Jesus is the recognition that we're moving forward, but that we haven't arrived. And if we haven't arrived and we're not perfect, then we need his grace, not yesterday and not just tomorrow, but we need it today. We need it today. And that may be the best news that you hear all year. Is that we're all in that boat. Whether you're extremely far from God here, here you need his grace today or whether you are on a mountaintop spiritually right now, you need his grace today, and you'll need it tomorrow. Let me, let me tell you why I think that that's, and I'm just going to fly through these because I'm out of time, but as I was praying through this, thinking through this, there's five reasons that I think that that is absolutely great news, maybe the best news you'll hear all year. Okay? I'm just going to fly through these, and then we'll close in prayer. One, it keeps you dependent on Jesus. If we need his grace today, it keeps us dependent on him. It keeps us tethered to him. And there's no greater place of joy in your life. See, see, maturity is often reflected culturally and in our world in general as independence. But scripturally, it's the exact opposite. It's dependence. Dependence. Two, it keeps your pride in check. Because we haven't arrived. You need him. So what do you have to be prideful about? We need his mercy. Three, it allows us to be a people who actually hear and appreciate other people's input in our lives. Hey, if I haven't, if I haven't arrived yet, there may be something that you 
can speak into my life that would help me move forward, that would help me progress. Four, it allows us to be a community of grace. Man, I I hope that we always are. That we can collectively say to each other, we haven't arrived yet. And that means that there's going to be times where we let each other down. And that means there's going to be times where grace needs to cover our friendships and cover our relationships and cover our life groups and cover our families and cover our you fill in the blank. But if we haven't arrived and the person next to you haven't, hasn't arrived, then we need Jesus to actively cover our shortcomings today as a community of people. And finally, it brings great freedom. It brings great freedom to know the Apostle Paul hadn't arrived. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. It brings great freedom to know that we can chase after Jesus with everything that we have and everything that we are. And I pray that you will in this coming year for your joy. For your joy. But we do so with the realization that we are absolutely 100% dependent on his grace today right now. And so, I want to invite you to press on. To remind you that you haven't arrived yet and to free you up to dream, God, what might you have for me, for us in this coming year? What might you have for me in this coming? And that you would forget what's behind, that you would not let your past define you because it doesn't if you're in Christ. And that you would say, with everything I have within me, Jesus, help me to strain, to fight, to find joy and meaning and purpose in you. Hey, hey, my, my prayer isn't just for you as an individual that we would live this out. My prayer is that as a church we would live this out. And that we'd make much of Jesus in 2013. Let me pray for us.